0: were only seen as terrible things and at that point it made me go oh it's not just me who feels isolated i'm perpetuating the quiet asian stereotype because i'm not saying anything i still don't think my parents know what i exactly do
1: welcome to meaningful marketing mentoring mattering with me joseph alcantara together we'll uncover the power of purpose experience mentorship magic, unpack ways to make a difference, and find transformative journeys as a community. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Meaningful Marketing, Mentoring, Mattering. And today, we are so lucky to have with us an aspirational role model in the creative industry. She's an accomplished integrated creative leader who dedicated her career to elevating brands through innovative storytelling and realizing non-traditional concepts. Her portfolio boasts collaborations with industry giants like Google, HBO, and Amazon. A fervent advocate and thought leader in the Asian and Pacific Islander community, she co-founded the global nonprofit organization, Asians in Advertising, which fosters opportunities through scholarships, mentorship, and engaging events. She also co-authored the bestseller and received awards for the book, The Visibility Mindset, how Asian leaders create opportunities and push past boundaries. Her passion for community engagement is exemplified by her role as a president of TEDx Culver City, where she orchestrated 10 sold-out events. She's also a recognized authority in her field with features in prestigious publications such as Forbes, Adweek, Nightline, Adage, and The Muse. Her expertise has led her to deliver over a hundred compelling talks at renowned conferences and events, including South by Southwest, World Bank, and Fortune 500 corporations. Please welcome Bernice show.
0: Hi Bernie. Yeah, thank you for having me today.
1: Thank you so much for saying yes to this invite. I know that you're very busy, but thank you for taking the time to be part of the first season of Meaningful.
0: Yes, it's a pleasure to be here and I look forward to this conversation. It's nice to catch up since we last saw each other.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like from Boston, I think one of the amazing talks that I've attended that you've orchestrated and was a great resource speaker. I have your book, by the way, I have her book and it's signed by the author. So if you haven't, I know that we should be plugging it in the end, but if you haven't checked it out, make sure to check it out. It's an amazing book, especially for our community. But let's dive right in and start from the very beginning, um, Bernice. The first question that I ask all my guests would be the simple question, What is your meaningful life story from the very beginning of your childhood to where you are today?
0: Well, that's such an easy question. No, I'm just totally kidding. That is a big question. And I usually start the story in just, you know, how it was growing up. So I was born and raised in Cupertino, California. So for those with an iPhone, that's where Cupertino is. That's where your weather app is pointing to. Um, I grew up in Silicon Valley. And I remember, you know, Apple was this little company with a couple, you know, buildings here and there, and we were all hoping Apple would be a big company one day. So it's really nice to have where I was from on the map. Uh, but I grew up as kind of the first American born in my family, um, definitely on my mom's side, and then maybe second on my dad's side. So being Americans really different for us. And so we kind of grew up with a lot of the traditions that my parents brought with them from Taiwan. And so my ethnic background is Taiwanese, Chinese, and actually found out from my 23andMe, a big chunk. Filipino, um, which I always think is just so fascinating um, as an origin story. And growing up, I loved art. I love creativity. I loved drawing. And thankfully, my parents, or my mom specifically, always encouraged that. Uh, I give that story about how when I was little, she actually put one of my drawings on the wall of the bedroom. <laughs> and it was a very simple drawing I made as a kid. And I think most people be like, oh, what's the big deal? I was like, well, that's in direct contrast to my dad who put my report cards on the wall downstairs in the living room for everyone to see. And this idea of like, oh, I still can have this side of me that is appreciated. And even when finances got really tough in my family, and we had to cut back in a lot of areas. So a lot of those extra things that my parents signed me up for, Kumon, piano, uh, those things actually went down. But I was able to keep my drawing classes. And so this idea of them just kind of silently encouraging it in the background. Maybe they didn't really say anything like, "Oh, you can do this is a career for you," but there was always this acknowledgement that this is something I'm good at. And so when I got to high school, I was thinking, you know, what can I do with this? And I have a sister who's 10 years older. It's just the two of us. And she knew that this was something of interest of mine and I love that she recognized that and connected me with people in her circle that she thought would be helpful. And I predate LinkedIn by a lot of years, and there wasn't like a you know a resource of people out there with jobs that you could potentially have. There wasn't a robust googling system of you know keywords where you could type in of the things you like and what you can make a career out of. And so she introduced me to someone that was a creative director, and I got to see what it was like to have a job that pays well uh, that someone can actually do that, kind of married a little bit of business with art. And that really led me into what does a career with this look like? Maybe there is something that I don't have to give this up to have a conventional, I would say, an Air Asian job narrative. I can have a creative narrative. And I would say just, you know, a couple of really chance meetings like that person. I was able to meet someone else in the advertising space and some mentors along the way that I keep thinking about these like places where I could have deviated down a road and it kind of led me, you know, a little zigzag, but it led me to the career I have now in advertising as a career.
1: That is a great story, but a lot to unpack as well, Bernice, because there are like a lot of meaningful elements to that beautiful story that you succinctly put. So let's get into it one by one. First, you've mentioned about your heritage And, you know, you've mentioned about, you know, being the firstborn American in the family. There are like a lot of integration adjustments that we have to do, considering that you have two cultures that you have to breathe in and breathe out and also build in into your system. And also second, finding ways to kind of satisfy and understand what a typical Asian parent would want for their children that is so unheard of to have them say that I would want you to be a creative director someday. How did you navigate that journey of the difference when it comes to the culture, the adjustments in the new place, and also finding what you want and eventually hopefully convincing your parents that that is the right path for you?
0: I think that's a very interesting question. And I would Answer that by saying, I still don't think my parents know what I exactly do. <laughs> so there was never like, you should be a creative. <laughs> but there was this like idea that they trusted that I, I, my mom always said to me growing up, if you find something you would love, you love, you will be successful at it. I would say that ha- comes with an asterisk now because there's so many different things that we're going to unpack in this conversation that really adds to that as well as a different nuanced layer that with our cultural that brings to it. But I love that sense of if you follow, just follow your passions, that you can find your way. I just thought was really interesting. I do think that along the way, I had to kind of support those notions. So I'd be like, oh, check out this Newsweek article that says the art school that I want to attend is a real school. I think there was a Newsweek article that says Art Center College of Design is the Harvard of art schools. I mean, I don't know if that's really true, but it did justify that I can go to an art school versus a regular liberal arts college. Uh, I did have, you know, that woman who told my sister, my parents really trust my sister to say, like, hey, there's a real career. There's a real salary and a paycheck. Um, I did have to do a lot of things. I really kind of checked the things I said. I think now there's more tools for that, whether it's Glassdoor or, you know, people on LinkedIn or mentors that can talk to your parents. But at that time, I used the resources that I did have to be like, just so you know, I'm not making a terrible life decision.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Taking off on those two examples, first, you've used actual data to kind of convince your dad that, hey, there's an article here that says that this is legit. And then you draw, you drew a connection from someone who became your, I'm not going to say a mentor, but your reference point to say that there's something out there that is doable for this particular field. So it's community and kind of data that you've used to, to feel in your, 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 your argument to your family. Have you always been like that or was, was that innate? Or have you developed that kind of approach, especially when, you know, pitching something to your audience?
0: I mean, I would like to say it was innate because, I mean, I'm thinking about growing up, I did do that. And as I'm going to advertising and as a role, as a creative, what we do is subjective. How Mm -hmm. do you know if my creative idea that I'm made seemingly sound like I'm pulling it from thin air? So whether I'm pitching for a new product, and so what I do is I actually take a you know, product. So whether it's a car, a new fast food item, and I come up with ideas that wrap around that. So how do I get someone to be interested in the new car? What what about this brand they've never looked at before will be compelling to you? And so sometimes that is data. Sometimes that's storytelling. Sometimes that's, you know, testimonials. But how do you do it with a creative way and a spin to get you to buy off on it? Because in the end, Right. Like it, there is something that really does need to permeate, you know, into someone's subconscious to be like, this is a good decision, especially if they have, have an unconscious bias toward that. Uh, so it definitely has helped me uh, in getting that for myself. Right. Me as a person, how do I get recognized for things um, in my work or my daily life, as well as how do I get that for the creative I'm selling board?
1: sounds great. And then I think, you know, lo and behold, you started your career in advertising. Um, You thrived in that field, but I'm sure it wasn't easy from the very beginning. Um, I know your story because I I heard it. I, I listened to your podcast episode as well. But for those people who are hearing you for the first time, and probably for those younger folks as well, who are in the same journey of one, figuring things out, or part of a minority group where thriving in their field or starting in their field is not an easy journey. Can you share that story about yourself, how you started and then the struggles and the challenges and how you're able to go through all of them and eventually go with flying colors as you ended up what you're with what you're doing today?
0: Well, thank you for that. I don't know if it's flying colors, but definitely working on it. I mean, Growing up in the Bay Area, there was a lot more people that looked like me. Uh, I would say my school was about 60, 70% Asian. And so there wasn't this thing about what does it really mean to be Asian American? Every one of a big chunk of us were Asian American. However, going into a field like advertising, especially as creative, you know, I told you how just unusual it seems, especially when you're, you know, approved Asian careers are accounting, engineering, doctor, lawyer. And so in this field, there's not many people that look like you and me. And what that really becomes is who I was in the Bay Area or who, you know, how I acted. There wasn't a common language in terms of how I'm supposed to be acting in rooms or how I'm presenting or how I'm showing up. And especially in the creative vertical, I would say the predominant, the majority is white males. Mm-hmm. And there's just nuances of a white male culture where you know these are things i didn't grow up with uh, things like i didn't grow up watching you know english first movies for instance my parents had closed captioning and they also had like channel 26 which was our chinese news channel running and so i really grew up with a dual culture where they really grew up with a really saturated american culture so i can't quote movies i can't tell you names of classic rock songs uh, they're I'm not that ingrained into American sports. Like I know how they're played, but I don't know any of the records. And so I kind of got a little on the outside when I came into conversations that were in this space, which is actually a lot, when the majority is kind of from the same target demographic group. And it left me with a bit of like, okay, that's fine. That has nothing to do with my work. But I realized there was actually a lot that kind of translated over into okay, if I'm not in the familiar hangout circles, that also translates into the work that you are given, like how those projects are being handed down. Are you on those high visibility projects? I call them being given non-promotable projects because if you do a lot of the tiny little things, while you may be good at it, you can't go into your next review, your next raise, you know, negotiation and be like, oh, I did a hundred of these tiny little things because they don't really... Kind of help the overall value of the company versus that one big win. But you have to be let on to those bigger projects to get those wins. And for me, it was really kind of navigating those moments of what am I doing? What can I do if I'm not in those conversations to be still recognized for those moments to be put on those projects? And I realized that, you know, a lot of those projects are just given to people that they see more. Whether it's in these side conversations, whether it was Whiskey Wednesday at my boss's house to play basketball, which no women were invited. Um, There was just things like that where, and no minorities, too, were invited in those moments. And I was kind of like, oh, no. It kind of made me reexamine how am I showing up in all the rooms I'm in? Not just the ones that I'm not invited to on the outside, but in the ones I am invited in. Am I really showing up? Am I really bringing present? And for example, we used to have thirsty Thursdays in mm. the cafeteria. And as a good worker, B, I I would rather sit at my desk and finish, right? I would rather work extra hard and extra polished and ignore, you know, the nice music that's happening from the cafeteria. However, that's a moment where you're supposed to build connections, be present, right? Put down that pen and paper and actually go enjoy yourself, you know, network. But instead, I was like, okay, if I show up 100% or 200%, that's how I'm being seen. If I do all those non-promotable projects and don't say no, that's how I'm seen, right? And so all these things I was kind of just doing kind of based on what my parents told me, which is head down, work hard, right? And that means succeeding. However, I started to realize maybe there's a little bit more to that. Maybe when I'm being really respectful in a big boardroom by not saying much, by agreeing, by taking notes, by by then really ingesting the information, going back to my desk, coming up with a really smart argument, coming back and sharing it, that that's how I'm supposed to act in those rooms versus saying things off the top of my, you know, my head that sounds like a half-decent idea, that just blurting that out, that seems scary to me. And it's, Kind of came to a thing of, I'm realizing I'm in these rooms and not speaking now.
1: I'm Mm -hmm. not showing
0: that I'm bringing value to the table while I'm writing all that value down, while it's all in my head and I'm processing it. They're not seeing it in that moment. So I remember having conversations with managers who would be like, "Are you okay with presenting?" And I going, "What did I do to show you that I can't?" Or, you know, "Are you you?" take great notes. Can you take notes for this meeting? You know, some of those things I started realizing I'm perpetuating these things. Mm. I'm perpetuating the quiet Asian stereotype because I'm not saying anything. While I think it's being respectful to keep, you know, to listen, to agree, I'm not showing that I'm, you know, I have ideas. And so kind of recognizing how I'm showing up and what that's signaling really helped me kind of, break through some of those things that was taught. And I would say kind of marry my Eastern side with the very Western side that we are all working in here.
1: I can't help but nod all the time because I have experienced the exact same thing. And I think We were not necessarily directly taught by our parents to behave that way, but that's the innate part of being an Asian in a country that's very different from the culture that you have in the household and finding ways to either blend in, to be small so that you wouldn't be noticeably negative in those scenarios that might not serve you good, which at the end of the day did not also serve you well because of you making yourself smaller, but then again, um, when you had that eureka moment when it when you realized, okay, Bernice, you have to do better because this will not serve you in a good way. What what was that trigger for that mindfulness direction and effort to say that? I should be better in terms of my approach when it comes to being seen, how I should represent myself, and how to assert what I can do and to add value to the work that I can bring in. Um, When did that moment happen? And what took that to eventually come out of you?
0: I think it was that moment, you know, I talked about when that manager asked me if I can present something, that Mm -hmm. self-awareness of, what did what did I do? What did I wear? <laughs> How am I coming off right now that you don't think I can do that? I mm-hmm. it, it I think that criticism, I think, for some that could make them, you know, retreat, right? Okay, you don't think I'm good at presenting, I'll never present again. For me, it made me go, okay, let's use this as a learning moment, having that growth mindset to be, okay, I don't want to be thought of that way. And if you really think about your destination, so for me, I was like, Well, one day I do want to be a creative leader. I, I have to be someone that can present. I have mm-hmm. to be someone that is showing up with ideas and changing people's minds about things and convincing them. And if I don't have that, then I won't ever get there. That's part of the job. And I kind of was like, okay, what can I do to fill that gap? How can I find more opportunities to practice and get better? And I think having that moment of, okay, I need to unlock this.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I think I'm probably only or one of the few creatives out there that actually has a speaker page and it's actually been on my website, I would say, for the last 10-15 years because I don't want someone to look at me and assume maybe because I am small, you know, I'm a little over five feet tall, I am Asian, right, I'm a woman, and that's already really rare in my field. I don't want them to just see me and go, we can't put her in front of clients. She can't convince a room. And so I just was like, very, you know, I just put on my website, speaker. And it really started with me helping at nonprofits, because I told you earlier that I had that woman that I was able to mirror my career after that showed me that representation. So really early on, whenever there was a high school tour or a college tour that went through my agency when I was working at TBW Shy Day, and they asked who here would want to talk to these students. And I think a lot of people are like, eh, you know, it's just, you know, volunteer work. And, you know, I was always like, yes, I would love to talk to these students. I would love to share with them, you know, that I was so lucky enough to find this career. And it gave me a good chance to start speaking, right? Just practice to stand, talk about, you know, what this company does, what a career in creative looks like. And I remember after the first couple of times I've done this, the people that stayed after were the minorities and the women. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they were saying the same thing I did, I've never seen someone that looked like you do this job. And now I think I can too. And that power of, you know, knowing that you could be that person that helps them with that zigzag that I talked about that I had, I just think it's so important to share what we know. And to really share that knowledge, you know, back to those that could help them on their path, especially Mm -hmm. if they come from a background that this is so unfamiliar, that's so foreign and so unexpected.
1: Picking up on that great example, because that is a good one, because probably people in the agency, when there are people visiting, especially students, like, oh, I have a lot of other things to do. So I don't want to be the one to volunteer for that. But you took on that opportunity to really shine And probably use that as a way to connect with those people that are very interested in the industry. And to your point, those people who remain and ask questions were part of the minority groups that eventually became part of your portfolio now, which I think, to be very honest, looking at your bio, that is a key differentiator for a Bernice that stands out. She's not just a creative director but she has a meaningful purpose and have a soft spot that she brought to life when it comes to representing underrepresented um, communities. Which brings me into my next question, which is the most one that I'm inspired with, Asians in Advertising. What led and inspired you to co-build that nonprofit?
0: So in 2019, I was feeling really isolated just because being one of one is really hard whether it's gender, uh, identity, ethnicity, being a parent now. And I just kind of looked around and was like, I feel like I need a community. And I did the first thing. I Googled. I Googled Asians and creative and advertising and looking for minority groups. And when I was looking through a lot of different organizations that did exist, I noticed that the minority ones – specifically didn't have asians on them and then the ones i did find for asians didn't really speak to creativity or especially in our field and i just kind of was like you know i wasn't expecting to create a large organization to be frank it was 2019 and i was like there's four of us let's just do something and at that time uh the company i was working at wasn't really warm to ergs i think ergs Mm kind of happened a lot later for a lot of companies and so I was just thinking of something small, right? I, you know, was already hosting TED Talks at the time for TEDx Culver City. And I was like, this could be just something we do locally. It could be, and I remember writing out the mission statement and kind of the things that we can do. And what after a couple of meetings, so maybe two or three meetings, I could see the enthusiasm for this kind of wane. And something I say is really true for the Asian culture is that rocking the boat is really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We're taught so much to stay in our own swim lanes. Uh, You know, as a lot of our parents come from countries where if you don't stay in your swim lanes, like big trouble could happen for you and your family. So this idea of kind of trying something new or that we might get in trouble, that we're being too exclusive, that, you know, all these negative things, right? That could happen. And so I would say after a couple of meetings, the idea went away. However, I kept paying for the URL and in 2020, when the world shut down, Mm -hmm. I was really struck by being on virtual all the time and just, I think the fact that we are all living in little squares, I could see how different I was. I think when you're small in a big room and someone takes more room, you can't really tell how othered you are. And I started noticing that sometimes I would even be invited to rooms to be the different, right? Like I'd be like last minute, they'd be like, Bernice, can you join this meeting? And I get on, I'm like, ah, this is why I'm in this meeting, <laughs> right? Like, cause I'm like, I have no context what this is about. Why am I here? And then I'm like, ah, I see my box is so different. That's why I'm here. And I also share the story about when COVID was at a high and we had the TV all on all the time, there was this one CNN special where they talked about ailing communities from COVID. Mm-hmm. And it was white, black, Hispanic. And where were Asians, right? They were on the other side of the news where it was Kung Flu, China virus, Wuhan, right? Asians were only seen as terrible things. And at that point, it made me go, oh, it's not just me who feels isolated. It's not just me who feels like I don't have a voice or that I'm invisible. It's our whole entire community. It's us on the news, right? And the news is one of the you know, is our biggest media source. We're seen as so othered and something so formalized. And it kind of made me go, oh, maybe there should be a little bit more to this. And I would say great credit to the advertising community. I think they started to realize that when they had diverse panels, they weren't really thinking about the Asian category when they thought about minority representation. I don't think they were thinking about Asian. But at this point, they started to think so and Mm -hmm. I remember being all these like seeing virtual panels come up and I'm like oh there is one of us on it and getting so excited and ad week actually had a whole town hall with Asians in the c-suite and this was like catalog chase tiktok google and I remember being fascinated when I looked at the screen I had no idea we were in those positions and it really touched a nerve I was like I don't think I knew I could be in those positions until I saw them that day I think I just thought, hey, I'm middle of the road right now in my career. I'm, this is the highest I'm going to go. I should just be okay with it. I make good enough rent. It should be fine. And this idea of being very complacent. Until I saw those individuals, I was so incredibly inspired. And at the end of the call, I remember them saying, we never talk like this. We need mm-hmm. more spaces for us to talk. And I was, I was first really shocked. I was like, you superstars don't have a place. What is the rest of us going to do? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm already paying for this URL. And I was having a couple more conversations. And one of the other sessions I went to was actually one for Ascend. And, you know, in all these conversations, because I'm seeing Asians for the first time, because I'm finally going outside my balls, and I'm kind of doing these networking more networking like things I started putting my LinkedIn into the channels right into the chat anyone wants to connect with me I'm happy to do a virtual coffee and one of the people I met in that sun chat was Jessalyn Lamb Mm. and she you know she specifies a DEI uh, learning development she was part of all these different organizations and I just thought it was so fascinating and I think as a creative, we're sometimes too cool to join groups that I didn't even know some of these groups existed. We don't talk about these groups. We don't join these groups. And I remember just like writing all these notes down, Googling things while we're talking. And I was thinking, let's just put something together. I think we could just do something really simple. You know, it could just be us one of ones meeting each other. If we get 20 of us together, this will be a huge success. And I remember building the website on Saturday, she reviewed it Sunday, we put it out with one event on Monday. And I think in about two weeks, we had about 650 people sign up. And I think that moment, I realized it's not just me. It's not just us, right? There's a whole community out there that wants a sense of belonging that wants a sense of connection. And, you know, would like to share that with other people. And we are now two and a half years out now. And the community has grown to over 6,000, and even globally. And I hear stories of people feeling displaced in other countries, whether um, I met an ex- a very wonderful creative, and he's German. He's a, mm-hmm. Cor- a Korean-born German, and he even talks about that idea of belonging for him in this country and how he's still other. And I love that we are connecting with so many people across the world and that we're really bringing this idea of what does it mean to be who we are and mm-hmm. bring these conversations and also sharing. I love the idea that we can share this knowledge set with each other. What have we learned that's helpful? What have we navigated? Uh, And how can we all grow together? And I recently heard this phrase that I love, that there's enough sunshine for all of us. Mm. And this idea of abundance and how can we share that abundance?
1: That's beautiful. I mean... For everyone who's listening to this podcast, I know the story already, but I just wanted Bernice to repeat it because <laughs> it's just empowering and inspiring. But for me, it's like the key takeaway for me now is like every time I hear the story, it's so refreshing because it took one person to eventually realize that, you know what? Why not simply invest in a URL or Google it first? Okay. I feel something, I need to act on it, I need to search my community. I'll just simply Google at this day and age where data is so democratized and resources are so easy to find. And the, struck, um, the striking part for me there is that you did not find something, so you created something. And then you've mentioned that after three, four meetings, it was waning, but you just didn't stop. You just let, you know, let the world take its course, pause for a bit, And serendipitously after the pandemic happened, I think the more relevance why we should be together as a community became one of the positive results of of the pandemic, which eventually resulted from four people to 60 people to 6,000 people right now, which I think is really amazing. And I'll be very honest, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg because there are tons more and then they're there like a lot more that we can do as a community. So having said that now, Bernice, like I know we just started with Asians in Advertising how do you see it eventually growing? Do you have a long-term strategic plan of a five-year, 10-year plan for it? How do you envision this group that you've started growing eventually, thriving and making a valuable difference in the community and beyond?
0: That's such a big question. And to be honest, I just very simply, there is no long-term, huge, great grand plan, but really I want it to exist right? I want there to be a safe place in this community, uh, for this community, right? By the community, for the community. And how do we get to a place where it is a surviving structure, right? It is a surviving cornerstone or community. And that's really the objective. Uh, Where I'm, you know, we're still two and a half years in. So there is a lot of learning. And me, myself, I'm always like, okay, how can we do better? What areas can we Grow in so that we become stable. Um, I would, you know, I think it would make me so incredibly sad if we disappeared one year and we didn't have that place. So it is a constant evolution. I have a great board of directors to help with strategic planning and really to cultivate that plan moving forward for sustainability. Mm-hmm.
1: Sounds good. Now let's move to the lighter side of things uh, because you've mentioned that you're also a mom. So, and then knowing that. You're a creative leader, you have your actual job as a creative person, uh, you have your speaking engagements, you have your nonprofit, and most importantly, I'm sure that being a mom is one of the most fulfilling, if not the most fulfilling, role that you're pursuing on a day to day basis. Um, how do you juggle all these multiple life roles, and what would be the suggestion that you can put out there? for young moms like you who would probably be in the same situation wherein you have to juggle a lot of things because of practical needs and purposeful needs?
0: Well, it's not easy. (laughs) That's the first thing I would say. Uh, It's hard to know what you don't know. And I think every time your kid grows, there's another learning point, there's another, you know, sleep regression eating regression like right don't want to go to school so every day is a different challenge so give yourself a little grace Mm. there's so much stuff that can be unpredictable i think for me i i think one of the best things for me personally is i do plan i I am Mm. a very good person about putting things in the calendar so i have these reminders i have like my to-do list and things like that that kind of help me keep organized plus i'm i would say being flexible. So if things don't go your way, how can you kind of bounce back from that moment? Uh, I would say this is what I would hope to happen. And this is what actually needs to like be accomplished, (laughs) you know, right? Like if I can get to the accomplishment, the thing that I need to accomplish, whether that's feeding my kid, it's whatever road that gets me there. I mean, ideally, you know, great world, all my kids are feeding themselves. But if I have to spoon feed them, right, Uh, just showing like how you can get to a result in different ways, uh, really helps. And I think the other thing that really helped me was to not think of it as a work-life balance. It's more Mm. of a work-life integration, knowing that some things need to be scaled up some days, some things need to be scaled back. So whether, you know, having a very helpful partner, my husband's very helpful, whether it's a nanny, whether you just need someone to come clean your house because that's just something you don't want to do right now, like find ways that work for you to help you with your schedule with your needs and also having great friends you know a support network uh, if you have other parent friends that you can talk to about how they're handling things different life stages of your kids just kids that are the same age and then your kids can play and then you can play with you know you can just have an adult conversation like all those little things really help to balance and for me like with just kind of the different things it's really being okay, I can kind of compartmentalize, which really helps. Mm. Like, even though you may look at my calendar and be like, oh, you're jumping between different subjects, (laughs) right? That's a different project. That's a different, you know, that's, that's your nonprofit. That's your school. That's your, you know, right. You're jumping back and forth. I'm able to be like, okay, this is the task I'm focusing on now after I'm done, I can move over to this task. So again, everybody's so different in the way we work how much time you need to jump from one thing to another, but just give yourself some grace. You're doing the best you can with what you know.
1: That is beautiful. I think um, in our modern day right now, where I I fully agree with you, by the way, on the work-life integration, because you cannot just say that I'm done with this now, I'll move to the next, because that's not how the modern world now operates. Yes, we can subtly compartmentalize however we can, but there are unavoidable situations that are beyond our control. So I think that's very enlightening and I'm sure that a lot of people can um, relate to that example that you've shown in there. Um, The other part though, is that probably before you started your family, because you're very much focused on your career, very much focused on successes and the definitions of it. Now that you're into a different kind of life stage, what does success mean to you and has it changed over the years?
0: Absolutely. I, I think for me, especially growing up, I would say Asian specifically, it was about achieving. It was mm. about getting that A plus, not just like your A, your A plus, right? <laughs> there was this idea of like, keep pushing, keep going further, right? 97%, no, 100%. 100% one time, no, 100%, 1,000 times, right? Like there's this idea of like, you have to be the best, you have to be the top, you have to be the parent, you know, you have to be the kid that every parent brags to their friend about, right? I no longer see the world like that. I don't think I'm as driven for those successes, that benchmark, right? I just want to do the best I can do. And that's good enough for me. I don't need to win any, like, any parent conversations anymore. I just want to be happy, right? And being happy is being happy with what I'm doing, right? I'm not looking at going, oh, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm going, hey, I like this. I like what I'm doing. I, you know. And it's really that reframe with what makes you happy, having that self-awareness of is what you have enough? And I think I'm at the time in my life where I'm like, what I have is great. I have enough. And that really changes my mind into Instead of the have nots, it's the really plentiful side of things. And that really does give me meaning and just gives me joy on the day to day to do the things I do.
1: Hmm. Mic drop. It's just like (laughs) beautiful, Bernice, because I mean, I can't help but relate as well, especially when you've given the examples like everything should be 100 Like, for example, in your report card, there's only 197 and your mom and dad will be seeing that and not the rest of the hundreds. But then again, it takes growth, maturity and change in mindset as well. But I think giving ourselves that grace and the understanding that life is beyond the grades, life is beyond the titles, Mm -hmm. life is beyond what's there in your bank account would really allow everyone to have a more peaceful everyday, I think, and have a better mind space and mindset. So if you are to talk to your twenty one year old self again, which again, which I'm sure is different from the Bernice today, um, what advice will you tell her?
0: I mean, this is something that I've been working on the last year. So not even my twenty one year old self, a much older self now. Um but, you know, to not live in fear. I think there is this idea of fear and shame. At least growing up because I wasn't always a ninety seven percent. Sometimes I was a seventy percent. I'm like, ah, gas. Yes, <laughs> yeah, like there was these moments that like felt really shameful or you're so disappointed in yourself. And I think, you know, telling yourself, Hey, like, these are all learning moments, right? If that does fail. And then if not, you know, what can we learn from that? Instead of feeling so horrible about yourself and having that low point. I you know, so for this year especially, I've been really like what does it look like if I don't talk, like don't have that inner fear, right? What if I leaned into my inner child? What would it tell me to do? And so for instance, this year, my son has started to take skateboarding and I'd be like taking pictures on the side, like, you know, cheering him on. And I was like, you know, do you teach adults? I know this is a kid's skate park, but do you teach adults? And they're like, yeah, of course. And so now I have a 20 year old man that holds my hand and guides me down a ramp. And this idea of like, not telling myself I can't do that and I think i had done that so much oh you can't do that or you're not good at that or you shouldn't do that I said I'm like well what does that look like you know this year I got my first tattoo and I'm like I was always told myself like I'm never gonna get one that's you know bad Asian (laughs) uh, not true and so I was like you know what I'm just gonna get one and it was like that idea of like what what are those things I told myself I could never do for whatever reason And would it be that bad? Mm -hmm. No, it's not. And just give myself Mm -hmm. that grace to really like look into those things and kind of re-examine that. So that's what I tell my 21-year-old self. To not be as scared. um, To give yourself, you know, that chance to explore.
1: That is great advice. Totally empowering and liberating.
0: I have one last
1: question before we go. Um, And I ask all my guests this final question. Um, and that is, what does a meaningful life mean to you?
0: That's a great question. And I think, honestly, a meaningful life is one that you want to wake up to every day. That energizes you. That makes you feel like you want to wake up and spring out of bed. I, I definitely know those moments were, you know, weren't as happy. And I didn't want to spring out of bed. But now that I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I feel satisfied, it does make me want to get up and, like and seize the day. And if you have that for yourself, I feel like you can just work at 200%, 100% your capacity. Whereas if you feel drained of that, you just can't do as much. You can't do it as well. And so for me, that meaning really comes from, you know, are you looking at what you're doing in your life? Does it satisfy you? Does the people around you give you that joy? Um, And just having that moment of like, okay, what can you do to really take care of yourself? In those ways, so that you can wake up every day wanting to get out of bed.
1: Folks, beautiful. That's why I told you that my guest today is the aspirational role model that we can all, you know, emulate. Thank you so much, Bernice, for that beautiful, you know, piece of suggestion and insight. Now I want to give you the floor to promote anything that you would want to promote: your book, your speaking engagement, or everyone who will be listening and watching this. You know, anything that you want to share with them.
0: Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having me, Joseph. Like, and those, you know, compliments. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so uncomfortable. But I it just want to so say, again. I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, so, you know, um so thankful to have this moment with you to catch up and have these conversations definitely bring more we all need more meaning in our lives and really inspire each other. So thank you. If you're interested in learning more about Asians advertising, it's pretty easy. It's AsiansinAdvertising.com. and um, We offer not only events, we're going to have a giant in-person event on May 3rd. So if you're in town, check it out. We also have not only that, we have a robust mentorship program. So definitely we believe that mentors can really help show you what your career can look at and open doors as well as a scholarship program in the fall we always try to bridge the skill gap wherever we can and lastly if you want to check out my book it's called visibility mindset it's on amazon it's at small local bookstores Uh, it's also at visibilitymindset.com so very easily there too but i just want to say thank you again it's such a pleasure and i'm so humbled to be here
1: Thank you so much, Bernice. Continue doing what you're doing. You're making a massive difference. And again, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.